This week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables is dedicated to the life and memory of Shad Gaspard and Hannah Kimura. Hello and thank you for downloading this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the podcast Potables Network. Brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Process Potables. For pro wrestling news and talk, make sure to follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN. For news, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Well, this week was uh, the best of times and the worst of times, too. Uh, Some great stuff on uh, different shows and some kind of cringeworthy stuff on these shows. We'll talk about it all on this week's edition of Powerbombs and Potables. And welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates and I am your host, uh, recapping the week that was in professional wrestling. Uh, happy Memorial Day if you're here in the States. Uh, great day off for some, for a lot of us here. Uh, and thank you to all those that have served our country uh, past, uh, present, and even future uh, if you have not had a chance, make sure to go and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and well Spotify. Uh, we just sat down with uh, Popcorn and Potables host Mike Demora and Process Potables uh, Pod Daddy and host Dan Morgan, and we discussed AEW's Double or Nothing pay per view from this past Saturday night, which is available in your feed, uh, as well as going forward. Going forward, this show will only be available in the Power Bombs and Potables feed. So make sure that you're subscribed to that so that you uh, don't miss a show. Before we get started, of course, we start off every week's show with uh, our news of the week. And we call it our Quick Sips. And for this week's Quick Sips, I picked up a six-pack City Lights Brewing Company's Hazy IPA. They're out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, it's a 7% ABV. The can reads, all Whirlpool hops and no kettle hops make us hoppy campers. Staggered additions of Citra, Mosaic, and uh, Amarillo hops in the Whirlpool. And double dry hopped with El Dorado and Vic Secret Lend Tropical and Juicy Notes from these beautiful hops. Low bitterness, huge hop flavor and aroma. And full and fluffy body makes this beer easy to go down. And everything they say uh, is very true. This was a silver medal winner at one of the uh, uh, beer fests throughout the, uh, the country. And it really, really stands out. Um, I've enjoyed several of these. I gave one to Dan, and he had one during the Double or Nothing pay-per-view. So we start off with our um, quick succession on a, on a somber note. Uh, Shad Gaspard uh, was pronounced dead at the age of 39 years old this week uh, after his body was found uh, washed up on the Venice Beach shore. 
Uh, according to a news conference, Shad's body was washed ashore halfway between Venice Beach Pier and the lifeguard headquarters. Initial signs of foul play were not found. Uh, Gaspard uh, was one half of the popular tag team Crime Time back in the early in the mid 2000s. Went missing last Sunday around 4 p.m. after he and a group of swimmers got caught in a strong riptide off the coast of Venice Beach. Chad's 10-year-old son, who was part of the group, was recovered by lifeguards on Sunday. Uh, Gaspard had instructed the rescuers to help his son first before a large wave submerged him. Son was rescued uh, and uh, did not require uh, hospitalization. Gaspard broke out into the WWE as Crime Time in 2006. After he and his partner JTG were released in 2007, they returned in 2008 and began a brief program with John Cena. They formed a tag team called uh, CTC, or Crime Time C Nation. In 2009, they had a match against Chris Jericho and Big Show for the WWE Tag Team Championships at SummerSlam. Some of the highlights of their career there. After being released again in 2010, Gaspar transitioned to the big screen. He appeared in small roles uh, in movies like uh, Think Like a Man 2 and Get Hard. Most recently, he appeared in this year's uh, Birds of Prey movie. Uh, Gaspard is survived by his wife, uh, Siliana. On another somber note, it was announced Friday night that stardom wrestler Hana Kimura uh, unfortunately committed suicide after ingesting hydrogen sulfide. Uh, she had been dealing with a lot of cyberbullying, uh, which was unfortunately what played into uh, her making of this unfortunate decision to take her own life. Very sad. We discussed the negativity of cyberbullying on our Double or Nothing recap from Saturday night. Some good stuff there. And just a reminder that you can always walk away from social networking. It's it's not really necessary, and it can be a, a poison, essentially, in uh, in our lives. On WWE Backstage this past Tuesday night, it featured an emotional moment where Ember Moon explained that the injuries she suffered last year could actually be career-ending to her. Uh, during a conversation with hosts Renee Young, Booker T, and Mark Henry on uh, the FS1 show, uh, they were talking about moments in their career that they wish that they could redo uh, and ember ended up uh going on to say uh the more and more i sit back and look at everything i've done and what i would redo i think more about my injury currently and realize that i may have a career-ending injury she said i'm coming back from the hardest injury and i might not have a short chance to even redeem myself of all the things that i wanted to do uh and all the things i want to do in my future it's so hard to not think back in regret when I try to look forward. There's a lot of AEW news this week, and I'm going to start off with this. It was announced uh, Saturday, late night, that Iron Mike Tyson will actually be appearing on this week's edition of AEW Dynamite this coming Wednesday night, as well as an inner circle pep rally. Uh, sounds to me like these two uh, situations are going to end up coinciding with each other because normally a pep rally is before the big game, and they definitely treated... The uh, stadium stampede as a, a game of sorts. Uh, so the pep rally would have made sense last week, as well as maybe to have Tyson before the pay-per-view. But no, they're going to have it this week, and they keep pushing Jericho, bringing up how he won't forgive Mike Tyson for knocking him out on Raw uh, almost 10 years ago. Uh, so I'm assuming that somehow these will coincide with one another. On the Double or Nothing media conference call prior to the show, Cody said that the TNT Championship represents uncharted waters, but it will be viewed separately from the AEW World Championship. Uh, he went on to say, we're not going to look at them as number one and number two. He said, that's because we want to see what becomes of the TNT title. 
Uh, we can't tell you here and now that it's going to be a workhorse title. We can't tell you it's going to be a mid-card title. We can't say any of these things because we've never seen it before. Uh, quite literally, too, Cody says uh, he is not he had not seen the actual belt at that point. Uh, that would have been uh, re- awarded, which whew, we go into detail on the Double or Nothing uh, post-show that, that is available in our feed as well as the Process Potables feed. Uh, as for the rankings, Cody clarified that the TNT Championship will be exempt from those rankings. Uh, he went on to say, uh, I can say as far as rankings go, the top five will all be non-champions, he said. So the TNT champion and the world champion will be unranked individuals. He also concedes the top five tends to skew towards the world title, but there's no telling what the future may hold for the belt. On the post-Double or Nothing media scrum, uh, Tony Khan revealed that the initial plans for this year's Fighter Fest was to take place in London as he wanted to be the promotion's debut in the UK. Unfortunately, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, derailed those plans. Now he's unsure of when they'll be able to run a show there due to everything going on in the world. Uh, he went on to say, it would, it was going to be awesome. I was really looking forward to it. Uh, Khan uh, would not say much to the venue that they were looking to run the show in, uh, but they have announced that Fighter Fest will be happening. No date or venue has been announced for this, but it will feature the match between John Moxley and Brian Cage for the World Championship. So we discussed this on the recap show. I guess they're going to jump right into this, but maybe there's going to be a couple months. Maybe it's going to happen in July. We'll have a little bit of time to build up Brian Cage before then. More news out of the same media scrum. Tony Khan was asked about the injuries of both Britt Baker and Ray Phoenix, uh, which he referred to as huge curveballs thrown at them. Uh, as previously reported, both suffered injuries this week uh, on Dynamite and were forced to be replaced in their scheduled matches on the pay-per-view. Uh, according to Tony Khan, Britt Baker is likely to miss only six to eight weeks out of action, which is, in my opinion, tremendous because with the injuries they were looking, I was thinking more than like nine months to a year for her. So six to eight weeks is, is a blessing. Uh, Dr. Michael Sampson was interviewed about the extent of her injuries during uh, the AEW uh, Double or Nothing show uh, he appeared on, and he said that the wrestler suffered an anterior lateral tibial fracture, a partial lateral uh, collateral ligament tear, and a small degree tendon tear. Britt is set to address her injury status on this week's uh, Wednesday Night Dynamite episode. Meanwhile, uh, Ray Phoenix is not expected to miss significant time away from the ring. Uh, so that's good as well because we kind of didn't know, but they had pulled him from the ladder match. And that's it for this week's Quick Sips. So we start off Monday Night Raw uh, with Edge and Randy Orton facing off once again in the ring. Orton comes out first and talks about wrestling. Breaks down that WWE stands for World Wrestling Entertainment. And then everybody fights to make it to WrestleMania. Uh, wrestle, which is... What they do every week has been pretty much a blacklisted word for years uh, that apparently is getting the handcuffs removed uh, thanks to Paul Heyman, which is wonderful because, well, the WWE puts on 10 hours of pro wrestling content every week. You might find it in an entertainment form, but it's still pro wrestling. Uh, Edge comes out and talks about how wrestling was Orton's backup plan and how he was just given everything he's done in wrestling. Uh, whereas Edge brings up how he's fought for everything he's accomplished in the business, including his nine-year journey back to the ring. He ends up accepting Randy Orton's challenge to a wrestling match, which they are now billing as the greatest wrestling match, which 
is the entertainment aspect of things because they couldn't just make it a wrestling match. They're making it the greatest wrestling match. Uh, but this is going to take place at Backlash in a couple of weeks. Personally, I'm willing to forgive that 36-minute match from WrestleMania if these two get about 20 minutes and tear the house down. That being said, WWE has time to copy the AEW model. Maybe have some of the guys, have some of the performance talent. The people that are at the PC that are under contract that aren't doing anything, you haven't even seen them on TV, just have them in the crowd. It doesn't really matter. Have them dressed. And uh, it's going to make a world of difference. We see how much of a world of difference it makes inside of a giant amphitheater. Just imagine in that very small room that the performance center is that they've been filming these shows in. If you have maybe 10 to 15 people around that ringside, it'll make it for a much bearable and watchable product from, from people. Uh, next up, we don't get a match. We get another in-ring promo. This time, it's Seth Rollins and Murphy. Uh, Rollins calls his attack on Rey Mysterio last week as cathartic and necessary. He goes on to say that Mysterio would see clearly the blessing he had bestowed upon him by doing this attack. At this point, they get interrupted by Humberto Carrillo, uh, who challenges Rollins to a match. Rollins says that he isn't dressed for a match, but his disciple Murphy, despite having a match later for with Aleister Black, is dressed, and he would be glad to take on Carrillo. Uh, so this is where we get this match. Carrillo ends up uh, diving into a high knee, uh, followed by Murphy's Law, and Murphy gets the win here. After the match, Aleister Black comes out to make the save from the beatdown that Rollins and Murphy were leaving on Humberto Carrillo. Now, Buddy Murphy already having a match with Carrillo uh, on the top of the show is still going to lead to this match with Aleister Black later on in the night. It's still set to happen. Uh, They do a celebration here for Asuka now being a Grand Slam champion. She, of course, has been the NXT Women's Champion, the SmackDown Women's Champion, one half of the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, and now the Raw Women's Champion. Carrie Sane uh, was, I guess you would call the host of this segment, uh, I'll say this, Carrie Sane's English is very good compared to many of the other Asian women wrestlers that have come over to the States in the last few years. Uh, She did a lot of talking on this. I don't recall her ever really speaking too much before that stood out to me. Um, So it was good that she led this. I was fine with that. This segment gets interrupted by Nia Jax, who claims that she will soon be the Raw Women's Champion. Um... Moving on, they continue to advance the Bobby Lashley and MVP storyline together. Uh, you know, these two guys coming together as a unit. Uh, Lashley ends up destroying R-Truth in another match that they had as well last week. Uh, after the match, MVP was on the stage and he was clapping uh, from you know a distance while Lana was then shown in the back freaking out and throwing things. Up next, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defend the Women's Tag Team Championships against the Iconics. If you recall, last week, the Iconics returned from a several-month hiatus, and they picked up a win over the Tag Team Champions, so naturally, this week, they get their title match. Uh, Peyton Royce ends up breaking up a pin that Alexa Bliss had on Billy Kay and proceeded to throw Alexa into the ring post several times, which caused the referee to disqualify the Iconics. After the commercial, we come back and Billy and Peyton are in the backstage uh, fighting with each other. Billy says that this was our only chance to get the belts back, and you blew it, and then slaps her best friend right in the face. Why would they even tease a breakup of these two here? It's completely unnecessary. 
Uh, also, the finish I wasn't a fan of. You could have just had the Iconics get beat cleanly here if you didn't want to put the belts on them. I don't see why you needed to do the DQ finish. I just felt that it led to nothing besides teasing a breakup of these two, which these two work very well together. Not saying that Peyton Royce isn't good on her own because for a while these two were not together in NXT and they work just fine, but together they're stronger than separate, at least still at this point in their career. Nia Jax ends up attacking Carrie Sane backstage and eventually Asuka tracks Nia Jax down and takes her out. Which the funny thing to me is that Nia Jax is supposed to be the big bully here, and she's already gotten taken out by the smaller babyface. So at this point, why is there even the thought that there should be a title opportunity for Nia Jax here? Because she already got the best of her. So that that makes a little that it makes no sense to me. So I'm assuming that this week will be Nia Jax's revenge, and she will, you know, beat down Asuka. That's just WWE logic and booking for you there i don't agree with it whatsoever in a rematch from last week we get natalia versus Shayna baszler but in this time it's a submission match natty ends up getting baszler in the sharpshooter baszler ends up uh, breaking out and went after the leg of natalia to wear it down until she was um, uh, able to trap in the kirifuda clutch natty ended up holding on for quite a while eventually tapping out uh, which I'm a fan of, you know, you don't have to tap out right away, but everybody seems to want to just do the pass out angle. The pass out angle is a cool spot when it's done not every other week or every pay-per-view. I get that you want to protect people, but you want to get somebody's finish over. But the thing is, is it's a, it's a submission move. If it hurts, let somebody tap out. It's not going to kill their credibility. The ultimate problem here is that People get their credibility back by being on the microphone, by writers coming up with their promos every week. Doesn't give these people to really sink their teeth into who they're supposed to be, who their quote unquote character really is. And that's where the biggest disconnect comes from here. You take uh, people when they lose, they're supposed to talk themselves right back into the spot where they just kind of got knocked down a little bit from. But none of these people can do it. And that's a huge problem here in, in in wrestling, essentially. So I'm glad that someone like Natty here was able to basically hold and withstand the submission move until it looked like she was almost about to pass out and then she tapped out. It was it was wonderful. Another example I can give of that, go back and watch Undertaker versus Triple H from WrestleMania 27. And it's the same thing, where Triple H eventually taps out to the triangle choke, but he's in it for so long, and he basically has just enough energy to tap out before he passes out. Nothing wrong with that. And I feel that still keeps somebody over strong. Um, They start to set up for the Kevin Owens show while Natty is still in the ring, and she ends up just trashing the set, which is okay. I guess they're going to start to maybe do a Natty turn because she keeps freaking out every week after these losses to Shayna. We'll see where that goes. But Kevin Owens he comes out after the commercial for the Kevin Owens show. Uh, he states that he is fully healthy and is taking back his show. That show being the Kevin Owens show and Monday Night Raw. Uh, his guests tonight are Selena Vega, Andrade, Angel Garza, and Austin Theory. Um, but 
he reveals that he has another guest. Uh, Apollo Cruz arrives and he attacks uh, Andrade while uh, Owens fights off Austin Theory and Angel Garza. Uh, this leads to an impromptu tag team match with uh, Austin Theory uh, on the apron uh, in a match with uh, Angel Garza versus Apollo Cruz and Kevin Owens. Uh, so what ends up happening here is... Cruz throws Angel Garza into Austin Theory, who's standing on the apron. Uh, Cruz gets the win with a sit-out powerbomb. So after this, Zelina Vega, Andrade, and Angel Garza all beat down on Austin Theory and throw him into the timekeeper's area. It ends with Zelina slapping uh, Austin Theory across the face and saying that she should have never trusted him. So uh, we move on from there. Later in the night, Charlie Caruso interviews Cruz backstage, and he challenges Andrade for the United States Championship match, which will take place tonight on Raw. Um, our next segment, Murphy comes out for a second match against Aleister Black. Eventually, they pan over, and there's Austin Theory still where they left him. Very reminiscent on how Murphy became a disciple of Rollins when he got beat down uh, and just stayed ringside against the apron for several minutes. And then eventually they realized he was there and Rollins walks over to him, extends the hand and picks him up and they embrace. They did the exact same thing here with Austin theory. Now, without even hearing anybody speak about this and how it led to this, I already think that this is a better suited fit for Austin theory. He is a young guy, just like Murphy is. And in these situations, all they have to do is perform in the ring and just be what, Rollins needs them to do and just do his bidding. It's a way better spot, in my opinion, than the Zelina Vega spot. And he's going to be able to learn more, in my opinion, from being with Seth Rollins than with the Andrade, um, Zelina Vega, you know, group with Angel Garza. Theory charges to the ring at this point and just attacks Black, which causes a disqualification. Uh, and then they beat down on Alistair Black. So now Rollins now has another disciple. Obviously, the AOP have been injured again and are out for another nine months. <sighs> Which leads to our next segment of Raw. And it is a horrible comedy segment that continued on from last week's basketball game to this week's axe-throwing competition between the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders. This was just garbage TV. And I don't even want to talk about it. It's I I don't want to know what they're even going to try and do tonight on on this program. So I'm going to leave it at that. Main event of Monday Night Raw is Drew McIntyre, the WWE champion, uh, versus King Corbin from SmackDown. If you recall last week, McIntyre invited Corbin to Raw for the brand um, extension. I forget what they're even calling it because I've heard so many different... Uh, terms already but it's really just they're inviting people from show to show at this point uh before this starts mvp and lashley hit the stage lashley puts drew on notice that he is coming for the wwe title i'm fine with this i thought that they should have put lashley against lesnar forever ago so this is going to be good potentially uh mcintyre ends up hitting the future shock ddt for a near fall corbin hits the deep six for a two count McIntyre ends up hitting a Claymore to get the win here. After the match, Drew is taunted uh, by Lashley from the stage while MVP found a way to hold him back. This was a very weak episode of Raw. 
you normally I, I could go on for about a half hour about Monday Night Raw. This was maybe what 15 minutes. You'd think that the WWE would be trying to put on better shows while the ratings continue to hit new lows week by week. These shows are literally reflecting the ratings, in my opinion, and it's not anything to do with Drew. Usually they will always say that it's the champion's fault. You know, whoever your champion is is the reason why your ratings are low. It's not Drew's fault. He's out there every single week putting on good matches, and he's a believable champion. He's a likable champion. But the show as a whole for three hours has just been just cringeworthy, and it's not looking like it's going to be getting any better anytime soon. Tuesday night, Impact Wrestling, we start off with Ace Austin, who is replacing Ken Shamrock in the world title number one contenders tournament, and he's going to take on Rhino. These two had a great match. Now, I've sang the praises of Ace Austin in the past, and I'm going to continue to probably do it every week. This kid has a lot of potential to be a star, all right? Finish comes when Ace Austin connects with a kick. He grabs a steel chair. The referee, you know, warns Austin to not use it. Naturally, then Rhino takes the chair from Ace Austin. The referee then takes the chair from Rhino. And when he turns around to get rid of it, Ace Austin grabs the gambit stick and hits Rhino with it while the referee's back was turned. Ace Austin ends up pinning Rhino to win the match in advance in the tournament. I'm very okay with this. Rhino here is that that senior uh, hand that is out there to have matches. And he's going to win once in a while, but he's there mainly to put the young talent over, which I'm fine with. Every company needs to have that. Um, they were kind of doing that with him in WWE, but the difference was he wasn't even on TV. He was just working house shows. He wanted to be utilized more. And I can't blame you because big Terry can still go. Um, they finally broke up OVE during this show, which is good. I stated a few weeks back that they're really lost without Sammy Callahan being the leader of that group. Sammy separated himself from them with the new ICU hacker gimmick that he's got going on. Uh, so it was good that they finally were able to disband this group. Madman Fulton who's the biggest of these four guys, was the one who went on his separate way, which is good. They probably got plans for him. Ideally, they're going to give him a slight repackage uh, just to be by himself. And, you know, maybe they'll do some stuff with him. Uh, Impact is a great ground these days for young talent. Much like uh, ROH has been, much like, uh, you know, that's what that was the founding grounds of TNA. They had, you know, the couple of senior wrestlers that were the big names that people still knew, but you had a lot of young talent that people didn't know. And that's why people turned in because it was just, it was exciting, it was fast paced, and it was just young guys that you didn't see every week and you, you didn't really know before. Uh, but then as the years went on, they just started picking up all the bigger names that the WWE would let go of and it kind of watered down their product. And now they've been really getting back to their roots. So I, I got to commend them for that. They've been doing a great job there with that. And Ace Austin is a great example of that. And and Madman Fulton going forward will probably be another great example of that. Uh, they have another match here with Suicide versus Moose for the TNA World Championship. If you recall, Tessa Blanchard, who is the Impact World Champion, is in Mexico with the world title. So as a fix, they brought Moose back with the TNA World Championship. And he's now self-professing himself as the champion. I'm not a fan of the storyline, but it, it's something every week to have a title on TV. I guess that's what their mindset is here. It eventually will have some form of payoff. These two had a fine match, but the suicide character being back, I don't like. It's It was, it was old 10 years ago. A character they created for their video game, and it worked for a little bit. They had different people, I believe. Uh, Kazarian 
Daniels played it, and then eventually it was TJP. They changed the character to Manic. Then they just completely had him become TJ Perkins, which was good for him because he eventually ended up getting signed by WWE based off a lot of that work. But I digress. Uh, Moose, uh, it's hard for me to grasp this TNA title run because this whole thing is built around heat. There's no crowd, so there's no heat. Um, the only heat is what he's getting from Josh Matthews on the announcing. And I'm not saying Josh Matthews is a horrible announcer, but he's not the greatest announcer. And I, it's just, it, it does nothing for me, but in the end, Moose ends up winning here. We're just going to keep moving on. Willie Mack defending the X division title against my personal favorite, Johnny Swinger. He is the most entertaining part of this show every single week with his 80s carny getup that he puts on and it just it just it hits me in all the feels. Uh Willie Mack wins pretty quickly in this match with a standing moonsault. Afterwards, Chris Bay comes out and attacks Willie Mack uh, along with Johnny Swinger, so it looks like these two have uh now formed a unit and Chris Bay will probably be now going for Willie Mack's X division title main event on this show is Michael Elgin versus Sammy Callahan in the impact world title. Number one contenders tournament. Uh, Sammy still selling the ankle injury from his match. Was it three? Was it four weeks ago with Ken Shamrock? I think it was four weeks ago at this point. Um, Elgin uses the ankle to attack the, he attacks it for the majority of this match. He locks in Callahan's uh, damaged leg into a half crab. Sammy eventually gets to the ropes the finish comes when Callahan goes for the cactus special. Uh, Elgin counters. Callahan rolls him up with a sunset flip and then hits a buckle bomb. Sammy rolls Elgin up, but Elgin gets out and lands a back elbow and then hits the Elgin bomb to advance him to the semifinals of this tournament. This was probably the best impact show in several weeks for sure. I do like to comment on them every week. Uh, because it is still a young brand and they were doing good stuff. Unfortunately, prior to me starting to do the show every single week. Being that we already recapped AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view from Saturday, I'm not going to discuss what happened last week on, on Dynamite. It was a lot of just build-up to the pay-per-view that we saw, and we already discussed some of the things that led to it. Uh, the one thing I will say is there was a in-ring promo uh, d- debate, almost, between Jake Roberts and Arn Anderson that was supposed to be talking about both of their, you know, managed wrestlers in the match that they had Saturday. And this was a train wreck from two of the greatest promos of all time, where it seemed like the end result of this was these two challenging each other a match, which I do not want to see. And they're not going to do it because Arn can't wrestle. And Jake trying to wrestle, ooh, I don't want to see that. So again, they they continue to not be able to remove themselves from the microphone and learn that they just have to get their respective wrestlers over. But we will talk about NXT from Wednesday night. NXT starts off with Scarlett leading Karrion Cross to the ring for the same entertaining uh, opening entrance that they have. A lot less of the lip singing from Scarlett. A lot less of the moshing around the ring, uh, which kind of deferred your attention from Karrion Cross. So they they definitely worked on this entrance for this week. Another quick win for Cross, winning with the Cross jacket. 
After the match, Tommaso Ciampa comes out to introduce himself officially to Cross. These two will face off in two weeks at NXT TakeOver in your house. I'm okay with this. I just feel that it's coming a little soon. But it makes sense in the in the sense that Cross's overall debut was attacking uh, Tommaso Ciampa. So it wasn't like it was a slow buildup to him having a feud. He came in basically starting a feud. And now this is just to introduce him to the crowd. So we'll finally get the first timeout. You know, the ma- match is going to you know actually have some time to it with Karrion Cross as he takes on Tommaso Ciampa in just two weeks on that TakeOver special. Uh, the finals of the Group B in the Cruiserweight title interim tournament, El Io de Fantasma taking on Akira Tozawa. As you'd expect, this was a very fast-paced match between these two. Uh, there's a nasty spot where Fantasma hit a running frog splash onto Tozawa on the apron. Tozawa ends up hitting a German, uh, hitting German suplexes. Fantasma ends up winning with the Phantom Driver, which puts these two at 2-1 two and one overall in the Group B block of this tournament. So wondering how they're going to end up working that out going forward, being that they are tied. Nothing was announced for that. Uh, Timothy Thatcher ends up challenging Matt Riddle to a fight where the only way to win is by knockout or tap out. And Riddle just has to name the time and the place, which uh, they announce is going to end up happening in a cage. And it's going to happen at NXT in your house. It was also announced after this show, it was not on this show, that the referee for that match is going to be Kurt Angle. So that's an interesting um, aspect to it. I would like to honestly see Kurt Angle on the NXT TV at some point between now and that pay-per-view. And why not? That's only going to help potentially their ratings. If people are flipping through the channels on a Wednesday night, and they see Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle's been around since 1999 in the WWE. So people are, are very familiar with him. So it's only going to help him if they do that. Mia Yim makes a quick work of Santana Garrett. After this, Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae hit the ring. Uh, they surround the ring. And Keith Lee makes the save. All right. So we already know that Candice and Johnny are married. And they play that off on camera every single week. But now I guess they're going to bring Mia Yim and Keith Lee's real-life relationship to the screen. I think certain scenarios it works, but in other scenarios, it's just not good. I mean, look at the Seth and Becky scenario that they put them in a year or so ago. That was a huge flop. That did not go over well. I feel that you already have, on NXT alone, Scarlett and Karrion Cross real-life relationship. You have Candice LeRae, Johnny Gargano, real-life relationship. I'm only at two, and I think that that might actually be all that they've put out there, but two's, two's more than enough. For a show that's only two hours once per week, that has one three-hour pay-per-view once every couple of months, that only really has five matches on them, we don't need all the real-life relationships being brought onto the screen it really waters down the stuff, especially someone like Keith Lee. Keith Lee does not need this for his character. Um, in my opinion, if they do this as a mixed tag for a one-off, I guess it would be okay. 
I'm not looking forward to the idea of that because, I, I, again, I've already said it. Not to mention, on top of everything, the same thing happened with the Seth Rollins-Becky thing. They were both champions. They didn't even have to defend the titles on the, that pay-per-view. I believe it was, uh, well, no. Becky was the women's champion. That was the night that, that Brock became the the WWE champion. Uh, but the point here is that they don't have many titles in NXT. And Keith Lee is your North American champion. Now, I don't want to see him against Dijakovic. I don't want to see him against Damian Priest. But there's got to be someone else you could slide him into a match against to actually have a title defense on that pay-per-view. I feel like putting that in a mixed tag is, is just a bad thing to do. Roderick Strong takes on Dexter Loomis next. Now, we still haven't heard from Dexter Loomis to learn what this guy's about, which I'm okay with, all right? I think it adds to the mystique of his character and him just being really kind of slimy going around the ring and looking creepy as hell like the damn guard from uh, Orange is the New Black and coming out with Stranger Things music and all this stuff. I think it, it, it's good for his character. These two had actually really good match. I was a fan of the work that they put in here. Uh, much to my surprise, Roderick Strong ends up pulling out the win here. Uh, after the match, uh, Loomis uh, caught Strong in the Katagatami choke. Uh, Adam Cole and Bobby Fish at this point hit the ring. This is where Velveteen Dream comes out and makes the save for the two while... Roddy gets put to sleep by Loomis, and it was it was interesting. He puts him to sleep, and then it cuts, and he's just rubbing the head of Roderick Strong. It was funny, but right there, perfect example of a way for somebody to get their heat back after losing. Right after he lost, you immediately forgot that he lost because in the end of what he was able to do. This, this can be done. That's all I'm saying. Harking back onto what I spoke about during Monday Night Raw. Drake Maverick versus Kushida in the Group A of the Cruiserweight title tournament. Now, this is the you know natural buildup since it started, all right? The beacon of hope that you had for Drake Maverick when he finally got a win in this tournament was, all right, he has to beat Kushida, who at this point is undefeated in this tournament. Kushida dominated most of this match, a lot of offense, and including uh, a bunch of submissions. Every time you'd think that Maverick was finally going to tap out, he'd find a way to hold on. Great story these two told here. Maverick ended up getting a surprise roll-up here for the win. So, now, Byron Saxon comes out afterwards and announced that this coming Wednesday night on NXT, we're going to see Kushida versus Jake Atlas versus Drake Maverick to determine the actual winner of the Group A side of this uh, tournament. As all three are tied to two and one at this point. So the Cinderella story of Drake Maverick is able to continue for at least one more week. We'll see what happens going forward because then there's going to have to be a finals match between these two to have, well, after this match, you'll have to determine the B block. Then there's going to have to be a match. Then there's going to have to be a match with that champion with the actual champion. So... It's, it, it's a lot, but it's really buying them some time here. Damian Priest challenges Finn Balor to a match at NXT in your house. We're going to get a lot. I think this might actually have the most matches for an NXT TakeOver event. I'm just throwing that out there. Main event of this week's show is Rhea Ripley versus Io Shirai. These two beat the living crap out of each other. All right, I'm going to say that. Charlotte eventually hits the ring and interferes causing a disqualification. 
so Io Shirai wins. I guess this is going to lead to a triple threat match between these three, Io Shirai, Rhea Ripley, and Charlotte at In Your House. Too cliche, if you ask me. If you're going to put two people like Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley in a match like this, I feel you're actually doing them a disservice to not let this match have a real finish. That's that's what where I'm going to say, and that's where I'm going to leave it. I definitely feel that they want to keep Rhea strong, and I get that. And they've gotten a way to get Io Shirai near the top, and you don't want to beat her too much, especially being that the last match that she had was with Charlotte, but that match didn't even finish. So the last two Io Shirai matches have had disqualification finishes. So I'll leave it at that. Um, NXT, you know, do better, please. And we wrap up this week on Friday night, Friday night SmackDown. It starts off with the dirt sheet segment. Braun Strowman comes out and interferes in the segment and pretty much just invites himself onto the show which leads to a match with Strowman and Miz, which naturally you'd imagine wouldn't go too long. Strowman picks up a swim with a, uh, a power slam onto the Miz. Later on in the show, they announced that Braun has now defeated Miz and Morrison separately, but now he'll have to take them on in a handicap match at Backlash, and we here could have co-universal champions. I don't know. They really need to turn Braun Strowman heel. At this point, and I've been saying this, if he's going to continue to be this champion, he's the biggest guy on that entire roster. So he's supposed to be the monster that the smaller heels have to slay. It makes no sense. And it's continuing to do him no favors week by week by destroying these smaller main eventers as a babyface, as a heel. Yeah, that would make a hell of a lot more sense for him to destroy them. It's not his fault. Clearly, it's the WWE's fault because they've done such a horrible job in the past 10 years or so or more even of having several main eventers in line. All right. Since John Cena, you can argue that they've they've pushed Roman Reigns, but he's not around these days. There's Seth Rollins, who's on Raw. There's Daniel Bryan, who's been, you know, hanging around the mid card since dropping the belt at Mania 35 to Kofi. And then there's even CM Punk, who they let walk out the door in 2014. Of people that you could actually look at as stars that could just pop into the main event picture. Sure, I mean, you could make the argument that, oh, Ziggler's a former champion, and whenever they need him, they throw him in a main event. But let's be real. Ziggler, his job, essentially, at this point, is to just do jobs. Which is unfortunate, because he is still, to this day, one of the best wrestlers that they have on on those shows, on the mic, in the ring. And he's the total package. And at this point, he's pretty much accepted that he's collecting a paycheck every single week, which is just completely ridiculous. But there needs to be a revelation here. You know, they finally need to realize that in order for the people to want to pay their money to go to these events, to buy the merchandise, to watch the show that are struggling in ratings every week, they need to make more stars. The Attitude Era in the 80s were so revered as the biggest times in wrestling The biggest things that you look back about those times is how many stars there were. Each month, you literally could just pluck somebody and put them into the main event for the title every single month, and it was different. And here, it's we're going back to The Miz, who, hey, people hate on The Miz. I like The Miz. I don't think he's bad. The problem is, is The Miz is maybe six foot. Braun Strowman 
It's got about 120 pounds on him and a foot. Come on. Where's the the realistic here? Like I, I, Morrison, I could get Morrison maybe, but they've already ran over him with Strowman. So, so why is this even happening? We all know that Braun Strowman's going to win this match to get to what? A Bray Wyatt fiend match against him? I don't want to see that. It's they're 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 spinning the drain here with Braun Strowman as a babyface. They need to make the turn. They might not want to make a turn, but these are the cards that they were dealt when Roman decided that he didn't want to show up for his for his health, which I can't blame him for. But still, you need to make the right call for your program, and this is what the right call is: is to turn your champion heel now. And that's all I'm saying. AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura in the Intercontinental Title Tournament. AJ has announced right at the beginning of this is he is now officially a part of the SmackDown brand, and he's not just here on part of the talent exchange. Excuse me for a little swig of this beer for Memorial Day. These two guys had a good match, all right? Nothing to really call home about, but we're talking about two of the very best wrestlers on the planet. Years later, their New Japan stuff worked. Nothing in WWE really has worked for the most part. So, you know, the fact that this was a pretty good match, I'll take it. They've also kept these guys away from each other for quite a while. So it it was kind of fresh, uh, but still nothing that I was really looking forward to. AJ picks up the win here with the phenomenal forearm to advance in this title tournament. Up next is Bailey versus Charlotte Flair. Now, before this match, Bailey tells Sasha that she wants to prove uh, everybody wrong and that Bailey doesn't need Sasha to win this match tonight against Charlotte Flair and ask Sasha to stay in the back. That's kind of a babyface move, but okay, whatever. I get it. Uh, when, especially when you're looking at it as two heels wrestling each other, I guess you can maybe get away with that. I will say that I was wrong about this. Now, last week I did say on the show that I did not want to see these two wrestle again, but they had a very good match. All right. So I was wrong there. Uh, these had, they had a great match, uh, better than good. It was great. A lot of spots, uh, where one would be in control and the other would just taunt the other, uh, say things like, well, this is how we do it on SmackDown. And then Charlotte would be like, well, this is how Charlotte Flair does it, which I guess you can get away with. Cause at this point, Charlotte Flair is, is the hardest working check on all these shows. She is literally on raw. NXT and SmackDown almost every single week anymore and is wrestling, which is more than anybody else is doing. But she, for what it's worth, she's probably one of the top three stars that they have between the men and women combined. She might even be the top star at this point. You could argue that statement, but you know, it's, it's my opinion and she, she's putting in the time. Um, this was really just the match of who was the better champion of which brand Bailey ended up winning here with a roll up. As she held onto the ropes, great finish as Charlotte got up after with a smirk on her face, knew that her fellow horsewoman got the best of her for the occasion. And um, yeah, so go out of your way to actually check out this match. I thought it was very good. Probably only about 15 minutes and uh, I enjoyed it. All right, we'll just say that here. Um, We come from a high point of the show to a low point, if you ask me. Mandy Rose and Otis versus Dolph Ziggler and Sonya Deville. Sonya Deville comes out looking like The Undertaker from 1998. I'll try to remember to post a comparison picture on our Twitter page, at PowerBombsPPN. Uh, This match was just not good, 
it wasn't. Early on, Ziggler takes out Otis, which pretty much left the match to Mandy and Sonya to work the majority of this. Sonya is snug with her work, so there's no complaints on my end with, 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 with Sonya. Mandy, however, eh, not so much. She's her her punches look as fake as 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 can be. It's it's cringeworthy at times. Um, Sonya gets the win here with a knee to the back of the head of Mandy. Afterwards, Otis tries to check on Mandy and gets a super kick to the face from Ziggler. <sighs> Moving on with this main event of this show, and the last thing we will talk about for this week is Jeff Hardy taking on Sheamus in the Intercontinental title tournament. Now, these two have been building up to a match in general, which it worked conveniently to put them in this tournament together. These two went a little over 10 minutes. They brawled inside and outside of the ring. It even saw a spot where Sheamus threw Jeff Hardy over the announce table onto the laps of Corey Graves and Michael Cole. In the end, Sheamus missed a bro kick, then went for white noise, but Hardy scored with a roll-up to advance in the tournament. There was way too many roll-up wins and DQ wins on WWE TV this week. That's all I have to say about that. So, um, it was what it was this week. You know, we have some stuff for tonight on Monday Night Raw, a U.S. title match. This Wednesday on Dynamite, we're going to get Iron Mike Tyson. We're going to see... Who who else knows what's going to happen? I guess we're going to continue to get more building up to the... Uh, NXT pay-per-view in a couple of weeks. This past week, Dan on Process Potables talked with Max Letterman of NBC Sports Boston uh, for some Sixers Celtics talk, but they also bring up what we discussed last week and Ennis Cantor of the Celtics uh, coming to the WWE. So check our main uh, podcast, Process Potables, out for that discussion. Uh, Mike DeMora on Popcorn and Potables, our movie podcast, just did a whole episode on Star Wars, which was a fun watch. I myself have never really seen all the movies, and I listened to this whole podcast and was highly entertained. So it is a great new concept and podcast here on the Podcast Potables Network. Again, it is Popcorn and Potables. Subscribe to that at Popcorn PPN on Twitter and follow it and subscribe it and check out that. Obviously, you know, it's a movie podcast. You know, maybe you, you skip one that you don't like, but the ones that you do like, I guarantee you, these guys, Mike and Mary, who are doing this, deliver with uh, this podcast. Of course, for ourselves, we drop every single Monday in your feed with the recap of the prior week's professional wrestling, uh, the news, and and the, the good and the bad. With pay-per-views like this past Saturday's AEW's Double or Nothing, we do a recap show always with an extra panelist. This week, we had two extra panelists, and it was a great time. Make sure you check that out. Um, and... Have a great Memorial Day. I'll talk to you next Monday right here on Power Bombs and Potables. Until then, have a happy Memorial Day. Stay safe and stay over. <laughs> <laughs>